I heard you say too is when you got out of those postures, how I experienced what you said was you were more available to life. And when we create this this deep fine-tuned awareness of the nuances and we create this space and we incorporate the nervous system, develop strength and safety, now we're more, now life is more accessible to us. Now we're more available to it. Mr. Salemi has made it to the temple home, the Italian stallion. <laughs> The new Baba, one of my favorite beings on earth, mm. one of the nicest people I've ever met, almost too nice where it makes me feel like the devil. <laughs> Welcome to Wake the Fake Up. Glad to have you here. Love you, brother. How you feeling today? Feeling good, man. Just super happy and grateful to be in your home and your space. And yeah, every single time Lauren and I get to spend time with you and Jamie, it's just like, it's nourishing on so many levels you know, to reconnect with a brother, to drop in. Um, was talking about that briefly with Lauren last night. One of the things that we both appreciate so much about you and you and Jamie is like every single time, not only have you welcomed us with open arms, but more importantly, you continually let us see you for who you are and what's naturally going on in your life. The stresses, the wins, the lessons, all of it. And I think that is something that one of the things that we appreciate most about you guys and every time we get to drop in. I really appreciate you saying that, you know, when you're comfortable with, you know, beings that you love and you respect and you honor, there's no other way to be except your authentic self. Mm. And sometimes in this reality, we got to put on a show and do all these things. And I kind of threw that whole energy out the window a long time ago. And so when I do have people in my home, it's obviously because I love them, I honor them and respect them, and they're going to see all versions and all aspects. And I think that's how we get closer, you know, because if it's only surface, if it's only showing you one side of it, what the hell are we doing? And that's exhausting too at the same time. I want to be able to get feedback from people that I respect and honor and to share a story. And we don't see each other that much, so when we do see each other, we got to let it all out. <laughs> And, um, you know, you've been in my life for probably three years now, right? Are we coming up on three years? Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. yeah. And, um, in that time, uh, you've merged with your now beloved and I've seen the evolution of that relationship yeah. and seen how it unfolded and I've been there in some pretty cool moments with you guys. And we've done some really epic traveling together and, you know, it's just incredible to see how in a blink of an eye, you're now coming back into this home as a father and see your beautiful son and to see and feel what you are evolving into as a father has just been really special for me because I had such a deep bond with my dad. And so when I was, see when I was seeing you playing with him yesterday, I was just like having a flashback of being that baby. And um, tell me a little bit about this journey and a little bit about this ride. I mean, we're going to get into all things, but this is the first, this is what's on the mind and on the heart right now. I mean, we were just playing with them in the other room. How's this been for you? What's going on? I mean, it's the best way I can describe it is it's everything. It's 
everything happening, like witnessing this little being grow so fast where every single day is a new version of himself or a new discovery or uh, you know really well he's now got his first tooth popping out. So it's like the expressions that he's going through and the pain and everything and then being a new father and being a new husband. So it like life right now feels like all of it. And at the same time, the first thing that happens when I get up in the morning, and I was sharing with you about this before, the very first thing before, you know, I was a father, the first thing might be like, okay, like what are my tasks that I got to knock out today? Or what am I going to get after today? Or what content am I going to shoot? Now, the first thing that comes to my mind immediately upon waking when I open my eyes is, where's Luca? What did I miss out? You know, what, what, what change or what, what, what new aha, what new smile did I miss? Cause I sleep in a guest bedroom uh, during the night. And so I just like book it to the room where Lauren and him sleep. And the sweetest moment ever is when I walk in and then he looks at me and then just this magical smile opens up. And I was sharing with you, it's really for me, like being on an MDMA IV drip where it's like, boom, boom, boom. So uh, right now, fatherhood is everything. I mean, business is super important, supporting my family in that way. Everything's like valid and important. And my number one goal is to be as present as I can with them and not miss out on every single or any moment that I can. That is uh, a great way of explaining it. So the MDMA pulse that's hitting your heart on a constant so you're you're constantly just getting love bombs and oxytocin just hitting and hitting and hitting did you ever think you could feel a love like you like you feel right now is it just undescribable it's undescribable yeah. like i had an idea like i had an idea like even just in moments how i felt about my dad or just like lauren like i have my the only context that I have is based off of my own life experience. Sure. So like how I love Lauren is one way or how I love my parents or how I love my brother, but the love of a child, like there's, there's nothing that I could have thought imagined even in ceremony. Cause he was a part of multiple ceremonies in terms of like visioning him and connecting with him and talking to him. But when you actually have that baby skin, skin to skin right on your chest and you hold him and you just like, there is nothing, nothing I could have imagined that would have connected me to the experience of feeling my son. It's the true essence of alchemy. You know, we're so dynamic as beings with our senses, smell, touch, mm. sight, audiophile, feeling all of those things. And something is epigenetically activating within the parents. You know, we know what happens with the mother. I've gone through that on other podcasts with some beautiful beautiful powerhouses but the same thing happens for a man mm -hmm. you know the man that sees the his child come out of the womb you know that does something that turns on the protector that turns on a, a different settle um, i would say sense of love that that capacity or that faculty has never been there and i mentioned to you yesterday uh on the couch i was like you know my dad was my life I've never thought I could love anything like I loved my father. And he knew that and he knew that about me. And, you know, one day he looked at me and he goes, I, I got to be straight up with you. You know, it's time we just have this conversation. I go, what's up, Baba? And he goes, you know how much you love me? Because I know how much you love me. It's obvious how much you love me. 
but just take a step back and picture this. Whatever you think <laughs> you love me, the amount, the energy, the frequency around it, multiply it by billions, infinite. And that's how much I love you. <laughs> and he said that to me with an absolute straight face. He said, you don't know until you know. And that is something that I felt internally and intuitively that would be part of my healing process, you know, of grieving my father. You know, is that once I have a child, then I'll, I'll get that, I'll feel that love recirculate back. And so it's, a, it's really an honor to be able to experience a micro glimpse mm. of what is going on in your world. And I felt it from the moment you guys arrived and it's been in my collective thoughts all throughout the night and this rise as well. I went outside and walked around in the mist and I was just thinking about that this level of love is happening not two, three hundred feet from here and slept in this home. And there's something to that. There's just su such beauty around that. So, so right now, tell us a little bit of background. So I, I want my audience to know who you are, what you're doing, what was like your root philosophy and how you got to this position you're at now. We won't go, we won't, we won't take too much time on the story. I just want them to have a glimpse of it. And then we'll go, I want to go get into some philosophy stuff and some of the stuff that activates you and just kind of your perspective. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. So um, maybe the best place to start is like so much of my life, I was a competitive athlete, multiple different sports. I started as a gymnast, but I really gravitated towards weightlifting sports. So powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, kettlebell sport. Why? For me, it was at a young age, what I really found was, especially when I found powerlifting, which I was a part of a very small knit group of men. Like I was the youngest by far. These were all garbage men, firefighters, police officers, blue collar men. And so it was like, it was only men. So it was my first real introduction to having a circle of men around me, having a circle of mentors mm. who could kind of take me underneath their wing. Mm. And then at the same time, one of the beautiful aspects of it was, especially in high school and middle school, when you're trying to figure out yourself and you're awkward and self-esteem, lack of self-confidence, all that shit. It was such a clear way for me to see objective measurements of success yeah. and to also be celebrated in that success and to also learn how to fail, but learn how to fail in a safe way mm. when you can be held by men around you. Mm. And so it was really the environment of that and then also what that represented to me. Which this is your early 20s or late teens? This is, uh, I started competing powerlifting at 14. Oh, wow. Um, and then competed heavily until about 24 until I really started transitioning just before that into kettlebell sport. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So being around a group of no bullshit men <laughs> <Yeah>. that are <laughs> there to show up and they're blue collar. I mean, you can tell by their career paths and stuff like that. A lot of respect. Um, that allowed you to build new trust within yourself and be able to like show up and be around that level of, you know, manhood, I guess. Right. That's powerful. You know, I don't even, I don't think I, I realized it, but way just 
I wasn't quite aware of exactly the level of nourishment that I was providing. Yeah. Only in recent years when I look back and even having conversations with men in the men's work that I'm doing now, I'm really realizing, I mean, everyone comes to the work for different reasons, yeah. but the number one thing that they all have in common in these exact words or something very close is I feel alone and I feel isolated. Mm -hmm. And they may be in a metropolitan city, so they might be very close. They might be five feet from another man you know, living next door. And we could be the most connected we've ever been. And yet still, out of 98% of all men I'm talking to, I feel alone. I feel isolated. I'm looking for community. I'm looking for real brothers. And now I look back and I really see like, wow, that experience in the gym at 18 years old, for example, like that was such a training ground or an opportunity for me to like connect with that. And then now recognize how valuable that was for me. That's amazing. You know, I, the, the system where we find ourselves in today, for the most part, generally speaking, has locked us in a state of competition and a state of fear and creates mm. the ego trapped and the wounded ego. And it's almost bred from day one just through the way that the state-sponsored systems work. You know, you don't really see any man or, you know, helping promote showing vulnerability and showing sides of pain and things that we're going through or taught to hold that in for the most part. Um, I had a father that really opened me up to be able to speak about those things. And then I had a crew of friends kind of right after high school where we were all pretty vulnerable with each other. Hmm. And I think that developed the characteristics and the faculties of being able to have intimate relationships with brothers which is why I find that to be so important, why I can connect with certain men. And I, I feel it, you know, you know me, there's a lot of men out there that project a certain energy towards me. And, you know, for whatever reason, it rattles their cage and makes them uncomfortable. And, you know, they, they project something that's not even accurate. And it's all an illusion from their own shit, you know, stuff that they haven't really uncovered or worked through. And so it makes sense knowing you that you were, you were able to expand on that at such an early age around that level, um, you know, of brothers and older brothers, which is so healthy. Uh, it speaks and it speaks volume to your character today and how comfortable you are to be able to, you know, open up. And you and I, whenever we get together, it's not, we don't shoot the shit on we go straight into the spear wound and, and, and open it up. And that's, that's all I, I'm here for. I'm here for any, any type of conversation, but that's really the, the root of where it needs to begin, you know, to be able to build strong bridges and bonds throughout life and show up for each other and love each other unconditionally. So you had that experience. You were, you know, like me. I mean, by the time I was 18, 19, 20, I was training like a madman. You know, it was just like, I want to be the biggest guy ever. It was, you know, all of that. And, uh, at that point, you started moving more towards movement actions like kettlebell and things like that. Yeah. So right when I was 17, I got connected to one of the, the members on my team. His best friend from, I think it was high school, was owned basically a holistic lifestyle center in San Carlos. Okay. And you're really familiar with, with the peninsula, right? Because you lived yeah, in Bur I know Belmont. San Carlos. Yeah. yeah. So, but at the time, it was basically the owner, uh, Brian Shant, was one of the first, if not 
if I'm not mistaken, the first Czech practitioners in the Bay. This is a long time ago. Oh, he's a Czech guy. Czech guy. So the whole facility essentially was modeled after Czech's teachings. And so we had, you know, um, one of my friends, Johnny Suarez, who was doing all in-depth assessments. We had functional med guys there. We had a hypnotherapist and acupuncturist. And a part of the, I was brought in as like the strength and conditioning guy. So I was working with collegiate teams and such. But my environment, especially when I was in the gym, was surrounded by this holistic philosophy. And then they certainly encouraged all of us to get to try all of the services and stuff. So then if we had a client that needed something, we had that personal experience. So from there, that's when I started getting open at 17-ish to Paul's teachings. And then I really wanted something more functional or something at least that I could take on the court or on the field with my athletes. And I started realizing like when I was powerlifting at my best was around 19, when I was 19, I was squatting 605, deadlifting 615, and then benching 478, I think wow, it was. Wow, that's a lot drug of free. weight, dude. Yeah, drug-free. Drug-free, yeah. Okay, that's a lot of weight. Yeah. <laughs> 600 on what on squat? Uh, 605 on squat, 615 on the deadlift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Titanic. Well, I was like, well, I felt for, for my body, I felt really strong. Yeah. However, it wasn't until I started moving with the kettlebell or the Bulgarian bag and just testing it and realizing it's almost as if even though I felt really strong, it gave me a false sense of security in the sense, because if you start giving me a movement like rotation or lateral movement, or you ask me to be explosive and flexible and coordinate and all this sort of stuff, that's not to say that those lifts, the squat, the bench, and the deadlift don't build like great levels of strength. And not to say that per se that they're simple movements, but they're way less complex on the nervous system compared to what you would typically do with a kettlebell or a Bulgarian bag. Mm. And so I felt like a fish out of water. Mm. And so I really liked that challenge. And then I come to find out there's actually a sport called kettlebell sport. Wow. I never heard of it, you know, where it takes Olympic movements. So either the snatch or go ahead. So you're taking, you're doing heavy, heavy lifts. And then you go more into a quasi movement and you felt uncomfortable. Like you felt like this is a little bit out of balance and that triggered you to like, oh, I need to conquer this. This is going to be good for me. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. So then you get into kettlebells and then you realize it's that there's Olympics for this and all this stuff. Well, there's a uh, not Olympic, there's Olympic movements in it, okay. but it's more, it's, it's essentially considered the national sport of Russia and it's the primary way that they condition the Russian military. Interesting. So it's got like deep roots and these are basically typically 10 minute long events where you can't set the kettlebell down. The only rest, for example, on a movement called the long cycle, which is clean and jerk. So you swing the bell to the chest for those who aren't familiar. And then you basically uh, bring the bells from the chest into the overhead position with your arms are straight. And you do so continuously for 10 minutes without setting the bells down. Wow. So we would compete in the professional division with 232 kilos. So about 70-ish, 72 pounds in each hand. That's a lot of weight. Yeah, for 10 minutes. Can't set it down. So you're jerking them up to here one in each hand Mm -hmm. and then both are going above your head Mm -hmm. like a shoulder press Mm -hmm. and then back down wow exactly and you're doing that for 10 minutes 10 minutes yeah and the competition is to who has the best you have to keep the form and then as many movements as possible exactly right so so, so, so a judge is counting this yep (laughs) and then i would also compete with uh for typically a five minute category but double 40 kilos so 88 pounds in each hand 
clean and jerk where you couldn't set the bells down. If you set the bells down or you stop, um, you know, you can stop at chest level overhead, but that's not really a rest period. Wow. <laughs> it's fucking brutal. And that's when I started going to see Paul because basically what had happened was is I would experience this massive arm pump or I had a compartment syndrome in my left arm. Yeah. And basically my arm would pool with blood and I'd be forced to set the bells down. And so for two and a half years, I saw multiple different practitioners, learned a bunch, but never really got resolution. And that's what really sent me to Paul. Explain the compartment syndrome. So basically you would get such a pump in a given area. This is your forearm mm -hmm. and the blood would spew there and it would get so saturated that your your nerves would almost get impacted how, how, how does that work it's exactly like that i mean to my knowledge before then i the only i mean compartment syndromes i don't want to say they're they're common but they're infinitely more common in runners and they happen in the legs okay for example and one of the reasons why when i was talking with paul and we were discussing like do i actually think or does he actually think he can help me and he was the first person that didn't promise me that he could quote unquote fix me or yeah. that he even had the solution. But what he did say is like, I'd have to get you on my table. I'd have to assess you. And I think I know what's going on. And actually this happens in motocross racers. Uh, and he did motocross. Mm -hmm. And so basically it's that pool that gets trapped in the casing. So the fascia yeah. and it pools up and swells and there's nowhere for it to go. So it can cut off nervous system activity uh, blood flow and it basically got trapped there and it looked like there was a water balloon underneath my skin wow yeah and like, pretty gnarly that is and incredibly gnarly. painful and stuff like that so when did that start happening that happened that started happening as soon as the competitions would go yep wow and 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 also in competition every time every time or in any hard training set in the gym how far along had you been in this um sport when that started to happen probably about Maybe about two-ish years. I went to St. Petersburg, Russia to okay. train with the national team over there. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and when I got back from that trip, I really made a commitment because typically there's multiple different, just like weight classes and different bell weights indicates your level. Yeah. For me to jump to, let's just say the quote-unquote amateur level to the professional level, you're lifting typically with two 24-kilo bells, which is still respectable. Like doing that, anything for 10 minutes is challenging sure but then to make the jump i mean anyone who's lifted kettlebells i mean you are bulgarian bags with these unconventional objects like a a four kilo jump or even a two kilo jump is so much more than two kilos on a barbell right it's unbalanced it's just so yeah. it's just it's it's exponential yeah so to jump from 24 kilos to 32 kilos right which is what an eight at eight that's yeah it's fifth that's 50 percent more yeah, almost. If you divide it by two and then add it, yeah, it, that that's a lot of weight. It's just a lot on the tendons, on the tissues, on the nervous system, the recovery, the how it beats you up. So really, this started coming when, like, really started showing more or less when I came back from Russia and telling my coach at the time that I really want to make a run at. 32 kilos i want to make a run at the professional division basically there's different rankings mm -hmm. and so you can associate like a black belt ranking to something called master of sport it's mm -hmm. a qualification thing and so that's what i was going for but i was hindered because every single time my arm would just blow up and no one could give me any answers wow that must have been such a bummer and such a pain in the ass did you think there was something deep deep there going on that was you know almost like dangerous 
You know, it was the challenging thing for me emotionally was by this point, I was super steeped in just holistic philosophies. And my philosophy, just to summarize it, is that health is the foundation for high performance mm. through and through. Yeah. And health in all the areas that, that we know, love, and appreciate and live. And that being said, what I was finding, like the disconnect or where I felt partially like maybe out of integrity, which is a, like really important to me, was... Here I was teaching movement or teaching health or teaching like good biomechanics and taking care of yourself. And what was I doing? Mm -hmm. I was competing and really felt like I was just like I knew something was wrong. Didn't know what the hell was going on. And every single time that I went back to do it, I just felt like I was continually breaking down my body for the sake of a number. Wow. And didn't really realize that like I felt parts of me felt ingenuine when I would teach like here I am trying to like tell people to rest when you're beat up and and take care of yourself and then here I am you know parts of me are doing the exact opposite and for what reason yeah so that was a big check for me so you link up with the checkster and what happened he knew within like instantly instantly he's like I brought kettlebells up to the heaven house at the time which is where he was at and he wanted to see me lift. He looked through everything, did his assessments and like immediately. And it was, there was a lot of factors going on. Like the compartment syndrome was just the actual expression of it. Right. But I had a, a pretty significant atlas axis subluxation. Anatomically, I had a, a significantly short leg on my left. Um, also, there was some gut issues going on. And really, there was a big imbalance between what's called my tonic system and my phasic system. Mm. So the tonic system are essentially the, let's just say, the group of muscles responsible. It's also known as the postural system. Okay. So like- Supporting muscles. Supporting yeah. muscles, right? They, they're they're um, slow twitch, yeah. right? So the, the muscles that are responsible for holding us into a field of gravity. So you could think about that, and Paul shared this analogy with me, like the nuts and the bolts to the car. Right. And for me, like my mindset, my whole competitive history before that in Olympic weightlifting in college a little bit, and then in powerlifting, I had a really strong motor to the car, which is the phasic system, the prime movers, the big, the fucking go muscles. Yeah. So that was so overdeveloped. So when I would do a com competition set, as soon as essentially I was so deconditioned in those postural muscles that those would, the nuts and the bolts would start shaking right? And basically the system that's not designed for long duration, my mover system was trying to take over. Wow. And so like I could go like hell in a straight line, but if you ask me to, to tilt the wheel a little bit, we're, we're, we're going to be fishtailing. Interesting. Um, so we had a lot of work to do to, I mean, he, we went back to, when I say back to basics, I mean, back to reestablishing infant development patterns. Yeah. And I realized there was massive, massive imbalances. Like either I had skipped a phase or there were certain patterns that just weren't online. And these are things that are hard. And now witnessing Luca, like one of the most fascinating things is getting to watch him move and like these little like things come online and all of a sudden a new patterning is unlocked. So with infant development, that is the seed of which all other movement patterns develop. And so if, for example, we, like Paul would say, there's seven primal movement patterns, each one of those movement patterns, if you regress it back, like in levels of complexity, you regress, 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 you'll actually find a pattern in infant development where that stems from. Mm. So when I teach movement, these complex things like fucking Bulgarian back stuff, and sometimes I work with someone who's just 
you could just tell, like they just can't, like their body, like there's of course a learning curve, but they're just really, really struggling, like un, totally like uncoordinated. And oftentimes when I work with them one-on-one, -on -one, oftentimes I can trace it back. And if I just put them in the, these specific positions that they can tap back in, it might take some training and some cueing and stuff. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they can, we can identify which pattern that they were either missing or that's lagging. Once we do that, dude, it's insane how, like what gets unlocked further down the chain because at the very base beginning, that's where the, the, the missing link started. This is one of the most fascinating subjects for me. As you know, recently you linked me up with a brother of yours to get me mm. going and doing some Aldoa exercises and strengthening of the spine and stretching of the nervous system and connecting to basically the CPU and certain parts of my body and motor and function that might have been skipped over through, you know, non-applicable movements that are almost irrelevant for a healthy body, you know? And so I've, I went through eight sessions of that and I felt like a completely different person, the way I was standing, the way that I was moving, uh, the way I was accessing thoughts. I mean, we are basically a collection of nerve endings and frequencies within a body. And if some of them are starting to go dormant, you're missing out on so much feedback, so much information. And when you have stagnation in given areas, it, it escalates into other problems because, you know, the system needs to be fluid and pumping properly, just like the spinal cord is not just holding our, our head on top of our head. It's actually feeding every, everything throughout. And so this is very, this, this, what you're talking about right now, I think so many people can take from this because mm. functional movement and being able to feel into how your body is connecting and responding and doing basic things. I'm not even talking about doing a thousand different kettlebell swings. I'm talking about getting out of a car, how you turn the knob of a door, how you're getting out of bed, how you're doing, you know, basic stretching. All these things are so um, impactful to our health short-term and long-term. And I'm actually getting excited because I definitely want to start working with you more and more on more body movements and things of that nature. Um, but what are you seeing right now out there as a collective that is completely missing in the health and fitness world and that can change people's lives? So someone's listening to this right now and they want to be able to access their pelvic floor, or be able to access you know, certain movements and be able to, to not get into certain pains or locked up because they're turning their head a certain way. What, what do you think we, people need to do? What's the next step? Man, and it's not the sexiest thing, yeah. but I really think just the biggest, like when we're talking about what's the biggest missing link, in my opinion, it's the complete disregard for the respect for the body as a system of systems, mm. that everything is interconnected. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking meat and potatoes. I'm talking the bare bones fundamentals. That's why like the biggest thing about my philosophy that I try to just share is that health is the foundation for high performance, even at the most elite levels. And I've worked with some very elite, whether it's been fighters, professional athletes, like all sorts of different collegiate athletes. And by and large, even at those levels, even at the highest levels, they're missing so much fucking respiration. 
Like that's what I would just say before it, like fucking getting people to breathe. Because if you're breathing right when you inhale, like if we just take a breath right now, And so observing you as you just breathe, and I would be curious to hear your experience. When you inhaled, what do you think happened to your spine? When you inhaled, did your spine get longer or did it get shorter? Got longer. Got longer. Mm -hmm. So on inhalation, the spinal curves actually begin straightening out. We begin inhaling and getting taller. And then on exhalation, the spinal curves, which are natural, they get larger. And then what's happening, essentially, just through breathing, you're pumping the spine. And the spine's fucking king. Like every joint, yes, is, is absolutely important and everything's connected. But just with breathing, just with aligning the spine, whether it's with, we can get, I'd love to get into even a little bit of the Aldoa, you know, and what that's, what that's done for me and for you. Yeah. But really the biggest basic things are going to deliver the biggest reward. And so uh, even just getting people to go for a walk outside no technology 20 minutes to 40 minutes tuning into their breathing what's the actual physical integrity of their spine both actually literally and then also symbolically and metaphorically right if the spine is if the center column like the spine to me is connected with the masculine principle the spine is the center column that allows energy to run through and if the feminine principle is anything associated with movement, so thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations, it's the masculine um, container that allows the feminine within all of us to take up space to move. Mm -hmm. And so when we focus on the actual, like oftentimes, like even in the realm of integrity, like oftentimes when we hear the word integrity, we think of integrity of our word. But there's integrity of our word, yes, but there's the integrity of our physical posture. And so like when you sit like that, shoulders wide, spine long, breathing deep and low, at a subconscious level, you're communicating trust to me. Mm. Like that's why like when we see certain people walking around, like there's just certain people that just, there's a presence about them. And there's something very diff differently felt if you're collapsed in, if you're chest breathing, if you're breathing superficially, uh, and then you have the integrity of the heart. And so... Like, are we following what our heart is saying? Are we following what we are meant to do? So integrity, in my opinion, is threefold. And that was something that I first heard from a guy named John Wineland, who's just uh, got a lot of respect for the work that he does. But I brought that into things like the Aldoa. So these postures for the joints or these postures for the spine, how can we, one, allow the spine space so that energy, movement, and information can move and circulate? And then also, how can we develop a practice, a practice in a short amount of time that focuses on a very high priority area of the body that is likely going to have a cascade of benefits in all other systems? Mm -hmm. So for me, going back to your question, getting outside free from technology, breathing, and then the health and integrity of the spine are like essential things that I think really like a lot of people could benefit from right now right bringing presence back to you mm. not escaping mm. i mean at the core of 20 minutes 30 minutes in nature no tech sunlight 
hydration, emotional content, all of those things. It allows us to actually reconnect with our design. You know, when we're in a state of escapism all the time, whether that's with food or relationships or media and technology, we kind of forget we're in these bodies. Mm. The mind is drifting outside of it. And that's why most of the ancient practices is bringing the mind back in and being so hyper-present. And the number one place to do that is with your prana, your breath. And so I feel that almost instinctively now is that my breath is what brings me to the awareness that my spine, my hips are all part of this column that I'm speaking to and connecting to and thanking hmm. for the integrity of being Shervin, of the integrity of holding my spirit. And these are things that I work and weave through my own guided meditations to self. And that's part of like a Qigong practice and things like that. It's, and so I've always been told, hey, you have really good posture. You know, the way that you stand, your shoulders, things of that nature. And I, and so that these are things that I, and I pick it out on people as well. So it's interesting you say that, you know, you can see people, if you're just walking in the street that are mouth breathing, hunched over empathetically, I feel for them. I feel like, like what, what kind of stress is being put on that frame, being put on that brain, being put on that heart, being put on that liver and go on and on and on. And you're right, you know, we're a living, breathing ecosystem and everything is interwoven and interconnected. And the more we can do that, the more we can start going into deeper, deeper trainings and go into higher levels of attainment. And it's a good um, analogy. You know, a lot of, you know, souls out there approach me for deeper understanding of anthroposophy and deeper understanding of Steiner's wisdom and I always say at the core of Steiner's message is the philosophy of freedom. And the philosophy mm. of freedom is dedicated to common sense and logic and super sensible knowledge as the primary condition. So in order to go into higher levels of attainment, whether that's through magic and occult knowledge and theology, the, the logic, the super sensibility has to be there. The common sense of, understanding who you are and where you are and why you are and purpose. Those are rooted in the fundamentals of becoming an initiate. And that's also a Rosicrucian practice as well, where you're evaluating your day and you're evaluating the connections you made in that day and things that took you into alignment and things that took you out of alignment, things that brought on pain, invitations that you accepted, interactions that cause you know disagreements and really analyzing those things before you go to sleep every night so you know because every time you go to sleep and you wake up it's a new realm it's a whole new practice and you're either building momentum towards something greater or you're going momentum in another direction and it's the same thing with the body so you linked me with uh your brother chris and we were doing the aldoa practices and i remember the first two or three times i wanted to kill him <laughs> i haven't felt that level of stress physically in a long time. And I, I grew up in sports. I loved to fight, you know, Muay Thai and then, you know, all the, all the things that I did and, and some gnarly trainings and, and really pushing my body. This was different. I wasn't prepared for it, but I was there for it. And uh, 
he would put me into postures on the ground and basically stretch out my nervous system to the brink where I thought everything was ripping and I couldn't breathe. And he was, and you know, I was accessing different parts of my body and then breathing through it. And he kept having me push, 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 keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. <laughs> and my fist would get tight. I was just imagining right hooking him, right hooking him. And I'm sweating and I'm almost in tears and I can't give up. You know, put the put your shoulder on the ground, put this. And I was like, fucking Mike, I'm gonna kill Mike for this. <laughs> and then and then after about 15 minutes of that, he goes, Okay, stand up. And I'm we're downstairs in the gym and I stand up and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm not recognizing myself. I'm not recognizing how my body was 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 laying on top of each other. Every inch felt different. And my feet and the my spine and the crown and the root, all of it was in a to totally different state. And I remember the third time that that happened, I started crying. Hmm. You know, I just broke down into a deep, deep cry. It was a cry of gratitude and things, were, messages that had been stored, they were coming up. And so that's the Aldoa practice or just one part of it. Tell us a little bit about it and what's it done for your life. And this is something that you teach people. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a, a tool that I've added into my practice, I think, since 2016 and then gone down the route of like taking a bunch of education on it. But it's essentially a tool that is a very, very powerful tool. And there's essentially an Aldoa posture for damn, damn near every single joint in the body. Mm. But what I would say is it's probably most well known for what it does for the spine. And essentially these are highly specific postures. It was developed by a French osteopath named Dr. Guy Voyer. And highly specific and precise postures that utilize the myofascial chains, put them on tension, and then with the orientation and the tension placed on through the chains, you can target a very specific joint to create, most importantly, the overall goal of an Aldoa posture. The number one goal is to what's called create a decoaptation effect in the body. So to de to coap is to kind of suck together, to compress, to bring closer to one another. Mm -hmm. To decoap means essentially just to create space. Mm. And as you described, the Aldoa postures and positions, they're incredibly challenging. And when we're talking about these things, we're reshaping the body. So if you're going to reshape the body, there's going to be some discomfort involved. There's going to need to be a stimulus to promote change right. and deep change. And we're talking about the, sp the, the spinal column, especially right now. And so these postures create a space opening effect in the joint. But one of the most beautiful things about them is... Of course, like, yeah, when you create that space, you create better synovial fluid, you create better circulation, decreased compression on discs, uh, better biomechanics, a better sense of well-being. Hydration. Hydration, exactly. Yeah. Fuck, that's like, yeah. that's what's, that. that's why like oftentimes when we see like my mom, just thinking back to a memory, she's like, oh, Mikey, I'm getting shorter. You know, it's like, well, you're getting shorter. And oftentimes when we see elderly people, Basically, gravity is just working and working and working and working. And oftentimes, it's because they're losing water in the discs. That's right. So if we can hydrate and give them the awareness, but more importantly, it's creating space while developing strength. Mm -hmm. And this is like when we talk about, for example, mobility. So if flexibility, let's just say, is maybe just access to a range of motion, the difference in general, 
to, to explain the difference between flexibility and mobility is you're taking now accessing a range of motion, but now you're actually incorporating the nervous system and you're developing strength in these positions. So it's one thing to, for example, be flexible enough to like, let's just say like bring my leg right next to my Van Damme style. Van Damme style. But the beautiful thing about Van Damme is not only could he do it, but remember fucking kickboxer, he was holding it in different positions and could control it with each minute degree of change. Right. And so now the nervous system trusts that position. So where if it gets into it for whatever reason in any sport activity, now it now it truly has access to it. Wow. So the aldoas are highly specific postures to create a space opening effect that for me, when I added them into my program, so just like anything, there's nothing in my opinion that's the end all be all. And when you add this, and they're only one minute long postures. So it's not long, but it feels a lot longer when right, you're right. in it. But when you add it to a good diet. One minute long. Mine were way longer. He, he, was, he probably ramped you into it because okay. there's like there's mo <laughs> as you know like one of the most nerve wracking things for these these postures are there's an infinite number of what we call factors of progression. Yes. So what he's trying to have you coordinated like ten fucking things at once. That's right. You know, glide the head, lengthen, push, push, push. push, push. You know, yeah. breathe the ribs down, breathe the ribs back. All of those things, and that's what you were talking about earlier. I think really connects to in addition to you know them creating space building strength, they're developing such a fine-tuned level of awareness for you to make micro adjustments in the body. Because we say micro movements create macro movements. Mm -hmm. And so it's just being aware of just these small little changes. It's like taking a ratchet and just... Wow. And then when you take that level of awareness, like that's in my opinion, when I look at an elite athlete, whether it was, you know, watching world champions in different sports or coaching, whatever. For me, the most, one of the common characteristics of an elite athlete is, one, can they make heavier lifts look like light lifts? Like, can they maintain their technique? But two, do they have the ability to make micro-tune adjustments? So, for example, and this doesn't have to do just with lifting, but if I tell you, Shervine, I need you just to, like, just push back right now T6. One, do you have an idea of like, to some, do I have the idea of where T6 is in the spine? Do I even know what that is? And can I isolate that to push that, but not so T5 and T7 moves? So like, can I make these micro adjustments as opposed to moving like a big block? Got it. So it really gives us, again, going back to more access. And what I heard you say too is when you got out of those postures, like how I experienced what you said was, you were more available to life. And when we create this, this deep fine-tuned awareness of the nuances and we create this space and we incorporate the nervous system, develop strength and safety, now we're more, now life is more accessible to us. Now we're more available to it. Yeah. I love what you're saying. It's exactly what I felt. It was an opportunity in that moment for, for me to actually feel more, you know, in, in places where I was reluctant to possibly feel or had neglected. It was almost like, you know, I had come and found myself again. There's so many parts of the body that through the modern day living, whether it's sitting in cars, sitting on couches, whatever it is that we have completely neglected and have gone dormant. And then ultimately amnesia kicks in. When amnesia kicks in, that's when disease kicks in. 
and the sedentary lifestyle and the stagnation lifestyle that we're having today in the 21st century, I think is just as destructive as glyphosate, just as destructive mm. as, you know, the fear indoctrination. It's all of these things are all wrapped up in one. I mean, we live in boxes that are energy controlled, Wi-Fi controlled, light controlled, temperature controlled. When the human body, we were designed to be out in the trees, out in the forest, out in the rivers, moving, expressing, dancing, earthing, all of these things. And what percentage of the population is living in that rewilding phase? Very, very small. It's no wonder why sciatica is here. It's no wonder why people are having hip replacements at an early age. It's no wonder why we have all the knee injuries and things like that. Most knee injuries is just because the body's out of alignment. Mm. And um, this is such an important discussion. And I love what you said about the comparison between just being flexible versus having strength in those positions and those micro, micro clicks, tick, 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 tick. Those are, that, that's, that's getting surgical with your body and creating such a level of connection. And what has changed in you mm. since you've been able to access this information, especially coming from someone who is such a badass in the, you know, the lifting arena and the kettlebell arena? So much. I mean, well, first, when I when I started adding in just the Aldoa specifically, like my quote unquote therapy bill in terms of the the recovery modalities and all that dropped almost forty percent. Wow. And I'm not. I'm saying that because that's that was my story, and I was investing so much on acupunctures and massage therapists and float therapy, and those are all like and many more things. They all have their place, but what I found is like the name of the game with either this or just I think in all of this inner work is how can we empower ourselves, and what I found in that, and even the work for sure that I've learned from Paul and, and, and other great mentors is the most powerful work is the one where I can actually step into and develop my own relationship to it and not necessarily wait or need to have someone else telling me what I should do or what they think. And so with the Aldoas postures is one example of this in, you know, in a small routine, maybe it takes me 10 minutes at night or something like that. Walk, me th walk everyone through a quick routine that you do in the evening. Yeah, so uh, best time to do any of this work, and even just stretching in general, like best time hands down is, is well, with the Aldoa, you typically don't do it before training because, right. again, you're, you'd be going right back into compression. That's right. Uh, but after training, right, but especially before bed because what happens is, is when you're in bed, you're basically not really, your spine at least is not vertical, so it's not under the selective pressures of gravity and creating that compression. And also your muscles are basically fully relaxed. And so if you really wanna notice the most kind of space opening effect and the greatest effect that a mobility routine, a flexibility routine, whatever that looks like, even if someone listening right now didn't change anything about their routine for recovery, but do it before you go to bed, and then look, when you're in that posture horizontal, that the, the spine and the disc gets so much more hydrated. So a quick routine for me, especially in the evening, would just be like low marching in place just to start. Because when you think about, I mentioned how the Eldoas respond or the way they work is they put the myofascial chains on tension. Mm -hmm. So what fascia typically, not typically, what fascia requires to slide and glide and move 
is two primary things. Hydration, because there's tubes that run through the fascia, so they need to be hydrated. Most people's fascia is like leather yeah. and it's just stuck. And you talked about stagnation. Yeah. So, and I'm talking about deep hydration, not just like, oh my God, my mouth is dry. Like by that, like most people are weeks of dehydration. Like it takes time for the water to, like if I just drank, I don't know, like a gallon of water and I wasn't used to drinking water, let alone like put the quality aside, my body really wouldn't know what to do with it. That's right. Like it needs to know what pathways and where to send it. And that takes time and education. And so hydration. Intracellular hydration. Intracellular hydration. Yeah. And then the other thing is heat, is warmth. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to sleep, I'm not going to do like a full, what we call osteoarticular warm, like a full complex warm up. But what I am going to do is just do some light marching just to get the tissues warm a little bit. And then I'll typically, my bread and butter routine is typically, usually before I go to bed, no more than four postures. But if I'm really limited time because I'm tired, I'll march for about 60 seconds. And then I'll just do like the, I don't want to say the holy grail, but like the most important of all the Eldoas is what's called the L5S1 Eldoa. And the reason being... Yeah, legs on the wall? That's the feet up the wall one. Yeah, yeah. And the reason being, well, one, I think it's like, what's the statistic? Something like 80% of all Americans will experience at least one bout of back pain in their life. And by and large, most of that is going to be at the base of the spine because that is, that's the bottom of the house. That's what carries all the weight That's right. of the body and the pelvis, so or uh, suspended on the pelvis. And so what happens is, is with that posture, you're, of course, getting it at that level. But because it's at the very base of the spine, you're also getting a space opening effect at every single joint above it. Mm. Right? So yeah. it's, it's, if I were to choose one, it would just be marching 60 seconds, feet up the wall. Usually, I like going more gradual into it. So my knees are unlocked, my feet are, like if, if someone can picture me right now, feet are up the wall, uh, your body kind of looks like an L, your feet are up the wall, your hands and spine are on the floor reaching away. Yeah. And, but usually what I'll do is I'll start very gradual, especially if I've been, I don't know, sitting and working before that or watching movies. Like I won't go, f like definitely won't go full bore into it right away. Yeah. And I'll just gradually and breathe with it. So maybe for two to three minutes, I'm easing into the factors and into increasing the tension. Yeah. And then the last like minute or like the last 30 seconds, I'm pushing, pushing, lengthening and trying to manage all the different factors. Wow. Um, and that's basically it. Like if I had five minutes, it would just be a quick march in that. And then if I decide I want more time, I'll typically pick three more postures that are specific to my body mm -hmm. and where I feel like there's some compression or some restriction. If you take this off and don't do this for a month, you start to notice a difference? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, for me, it's like flossing the teeth for the spine. Yeah. You know, like, because again, whether it's from lifting or from day to day, we're constantly under that gravitational push. Um, I just feel going back to less available to life. Like I just notice immediately how I'm carrying myself. Like I just feel more open. And that was so like, like the benefits of just carrying myself differently, feeling like I can make more fine tuned adjustments in my life and in my lifting. Yeah. Uh, but then more just like what I've really, for me, what I've started connecting it to. So the, the Aldoas are quite mechanical. Like they're very, very methodical, very uh, analytical. Right. Right. 
And my practice has been, of course, to honor that and to incorporate that, but then do exactly what you're, or at least be open to when I'm in these postures. Like what I would say is they're also represent representations of essentially like a masculine embodiment practice. And what that means to me as I've been diving into more and more is, so when you're in these postures, the stillness, the stillness the groundedness, the steadiness, the mountain that is any posture or position that is associated with the masculine, the container. But when you're in that Aldoa and it's uncomfortable and your arms are burning and everything wants to give up because you're struggling and shaking and sweating and cursing me and cursing Chris, yeah. all of that is the feminine. Right. And so for me, it's been a way to when I'm in these uncomfortable situations and strengthening that center column, can I also learn to relax into it and to not collapse into the discomfort and actually stay heart open? So my practice is continually, and I think honestly, the higher, the higher that you go with the Aldoa, you really start learning and finding the sweet spot where it's not all mechanical and push, 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 push. It's how can you push and also relax at the same time. And you'll, that's when shit gets really unlocked wow. and open to it. And, and realize that even though we're working mechanically, like T67, let's say, or L5S1, T67 is right around the shoulder blade. It's like the ape, right around the apex of the thoracic curve. So really susceptible to compression. Mm -hmm. And then the base of the spine, you're talking about heart and root. Yeah. So as a practice before medicine work, as a practice before meditation, energetically, if you want to open up the heart and the root, boom, that's just an incredible way to do it. I mean, just talking about this is really wanting me to go and expand everything. <laughs> to it. it's, I, I love it. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the men's work that you do. Mm. You know, I've uh, been wanting to join you on one of these retreats and, uh, and bring some of my magic and combine it with yours and uh, been watching what you've been doing. And, you know, I got to tell you, in, in today's day to have an experience around brothers and being able to open up the, the lines of vulnerability. And we discussed that earlier. Um, and to go into, go into nature and do this with ritual, with good food, with laughter, with love, there's really nothing healthier a man can do in my opinion for their soul today and also for their sphere of influence, for their lovers, for their children, for their parents. It, the ripple down effect is just, it's just so obvious. Tell me a little bit about your, um, your philosophy in it and what's it looking like right now as we go into the later part of this year in 2024. Yeah, man, this is really where so much of my heart is because the, the brand that I've developed is called Men of Movement, just to also honor my background and really movement being the window open for me in so many of these things like it started with physical movement then realizing oh my god there's so much more to this and it really started with the recognition that i needed this like even though like i've got a lot of great friends and and like a lot of great men in my life like by and large i need this too like we all need spaces to gather where we can actually drop down the guards and drop down the mass and be fully honest. Like when I first came here, I think within 10 minutes, we dropped in on the couch and we asked each other, I think just like one question, 
I don't even know if it was just how are you doing or what's coming up for you. And it was like the simplest question, but when asked with someone who's genuinely there and fully present and with you and willing to be with you, the simplest thing, it's really the environment, the safety, the space, the trust. And that's what is so, in my opinion, needed and missing. And so for me, the transition into this work came from one, the recognition that I needed it, two, the recognition that so many men also need this. But then realizing that as much as I love movement and appreciate movement, it wasn't doing as much to nourish me at a cellular level and at a soul level. And so I really wanted to start going down the path of creating spaces for this type of work. And right away, it was just so evident that one, this is needed, but more than anything, like if all we did if all, like, there's a bunch that we do at these events, like really cool rituals, initiations, sweat lodges, and all sorts of stuff. But if, dude, if all we did was just get together a group of, let's say, 10 guys out in nature who are all just down to be there for each other, nature, connection, and open and honest communication. Fucking A. Like, that will heal that will heal the fabric of the family and like you said have a generation of ripples and that's what i realize that i'm doing this work is to give myself because it is i'm like being selfish like this is also about me like this is like i'm like when i'm going through these experiences with them the the motto is men of movement lead from the middle and that came up organically because like at least how i feel most comfortable in leading like i think from the middle like the middle is also representation representative of the heart right? But in the middle, like there's less of a need to focus on the front or being in the back. It's more like, I love being in the experience with the men and going through like, so any facilitator that I bring, we're all going through it. If we're not leading a session, we're in it with you. And that's where I really feel like I can stay connected to the pulse and actually really connect with the men. And so if- Which is shamanic in in its own right. mm. That's the ultimate like you know, philosophy of shamanism is your experience with the experiencer. It's one embodiment. That way that the the trust is is born through it and the growth is the perfect energy exchange. Right. And so that's that's interesting that you have that philosophy and thank God you do. Mm. Because how could you how could anyone be more present um if the you know if the leader was not right beside them. You know, equal, equality wins in that moment. Please continue. No, I completely agree. Yeah. And that's that's like, again, like you could have been through a lot of retreats over the years and, and some of them been amazing. And that energy, though, is really what I felt, one, just most authentic, but also what I felt was also just really needed. Yeah. Like not a fucking pedestal, like not this, like there is no better work. Like it's like, dude, we're in this together. I've got so much of my stuff. Uh, like we all got stuff, right? I think some of us are better at hiding it than others, right? Totally. But everybody's got stuff. And so um, really, man, it's just been a, a, a way to give these guys and myself an opportunity to consciously engage with the parts of ourselves that have been neglected and that need care and that we may not even be aware that we need to touch and to open and to be supported. And and um, you shared earlier about that, like unhealthy competitiveness. Like I think competitiveness is really good. Like I think it serves a great purpose. Yep. And a big thing too, what I hear with a lot of these guys is oftentimes their um, 
experience with men in general is mainly an unhealthy competitiveness, a jealousy or a pedestaling. And it's like really like even we do we do do movement and embodiment work every what day and teamwork and stuff like that. And it's really to um like redefine what healthy competitiveness in like when for example if we're doing an embodiment practice let's just say like something like an aldoa position and you're right in front of me and we're connecting eye to eye if you collapse out of the posture it's not on you mm. it's on me because i wasn't able to hold you mm. and so when you get that and you're breathing and you're holding the position you're locking eyes and then someone's guiding you through it's like that opportunity to truly know yourself and then know the soul of the other man whew, that's powerful like and doing so in nature outside on the top of the mountain looking at shasta come on like <laughs> right? that's medicine that is medicine how many of these have you done so we've done uh I've done f basically like every six months. We've okay. done it so for like two plus years. So we've done four of them so far. What's next for you, Mike? Um, continue being there as much as I can for Luca. Mm -hmm. And he's been such an inspiration to me for this work and the recognition of why I'm going to keep doing it. So what's next is the commitment to keep creating these and to do my very best to, to grow it. And to grow it in a way that maintains the heart of it, but to really grow it. So next year, um, you know, I've got the podcast for sure, Papa Life, but creating more of these spaces, whether it's through spaces like this or uh, virtual coaching programs for people around the world to one-on-one -on -one work, but to really support more men in this is really just it's just getting clearer and clearer and clearer. Like this is what, at least at this phase in my life, like what I'm truly not only most interested in, but what I'm living day in and day out. And that's the most natural way for me to teach and to lead is like to bring what is authentic within me and what I'm going through and the challenges of being a father and, you know, the beauties as well and the beauties and challenges of being a new husband and st being an entrepreneur, but trying to stay grounded and take care of myself. Like it's uh, navigating that and staying centered in that or the, the return back to center uh, is my practice and these things and continuing this work is so that other guys can experience that as well. Yeah, I mean, this is the, the fundamentals down to the molecular level of the body. And I think you do such a great job explaining and teaching it. You know, you, this is what you have a PhD in, right? And this is your, your mastery. And I think um, everybody has an opportunity, men and women, to be able to access parts of their body that have gone dormant. It is your God-given right to remember what you've forgotten and you can again you can take all the supplements in the world you can be doing all the other things in the world but if you've left parts of your body behind you can forget about reaching peak fitness and peak health and peak emotional like you know really getting into the center point of your being you know the the more that i connect with the body the more i connect with my spirit and that's a finding balance in a etheric and material perspective and that's what I why I love your work so much because it's so grounded in that essence. So we can root in and then be able to blast out into higher uh, perspectives. I can't wait to go on a retreat with you mm. and do something epic. We got to make that happen for 2024. 
So if you're listening to this, keep, keep your <laughs> eye out. Uh, we're thinking about doing a Sasquatch retreat. Maybe you team up with me and Avocado. <laughs> Let's go. It's just like Aldoa sessions, you know, twice a day and a lot of cool, cool exercises and things of that, breath work, things like that. Um, do you have anything else you want to share with the audience and talk about? Is there anything that's pressing right now that's deep in your heart? Hmm. The biggest thing right now that's coming up has just been how much of a blessing having a son has been for myself. Like, of course, for our family, for sure. But more than anything, and you and I were talking about this before we hopped on, but just like getting to hold him as he's going through all of his stuff and what that's done for me. Because like as I hold him for long periods of time, like, you know, hours sometimes, it's also given me the opportunity to connect with that younger child in me and then to also even connect with other people in my family and imagine them as babies. And so mm. for me, like the biggest thing right now has been to develop a practice of compassion and of reconnecting to those parts of myself that I've neglected when I was a kid or that um, didn't have modeled or didn't have my hand held in metaphorically. And so the fact that I get to do that now with my son and to be there for him, but to also like, that was one of the biggest surprises in this because it's been such a wild ride in the last six months. Uh, but one of the biggest surprises has been how healing it's been for me. And so I'm just so present to that and like, and also to the beauty in getting to witness Lauren, my wife, like that is one of the, also the biggest surprises is like when I get to witness her stepping into the mother archetype and getting her to witness to like holding him and singing him. And that like, I watch them like not in a creepy way, but like I'll just sit on a, you know, a little lazy boy or whatever it is in our room and watch them sleeping together and just getting to watch that and feel that like, there's nothing creepy about that. It's <laughs> the most beautiful expression to behold your wife, your beautiful wife and your child to be able to have that visual majesty entering your eyes into your brain and receiving that code. There's probably nothing better than that. Mm. And I and I I love to add that we were talking about it yesterday. You know, you would hold baby Luca and bring him close to your chest, chest to chest, mm. and you would ground him in with your vibratory tone. And do please do the tone right now. Yeah. This is uh this is a really powerful art form. It's almost like a didgeridoo. This is uh it's called Kagura, which is a Mongolian throat singing. Yeah. And then it can have like I'll do like a it can have like all sorts of different intonations, so when i hear that i'm feeling that mm. it's cymatics it's a vibratory field and it takes me straight to the toad realms you know that's primordial toad for me you know 
And that's very interesting that that's what activates. And so you're, you're producing these sounds and what you're feeling, Luca's responding to it on a, in the field of it, and it's bringing him back down into his root body, right? And it's allowing him to not feel some of the pain he might be feeling. You said, you know, his teeth are coming out and it's giving him an opportunity to be free because he's not in a position to acknowledge what's happening in the moment. He's just in it fully as a child, right? The extension of God is in the bubble of all experience without rationalizing and compartmentalizing through the ego. And so that is a really, really beautiful experience you're offering your son and yourself. So bravo for that. Thank you, man. It's yeah. been so special, like yeah. to, especially like skin to skin. And, you know, it's like you were saying with his tooth. So like now I'm, because I spend so much time with him, I'm really tuned into like all of the nuances and the ranges of the quality of his cries and what they sound like. And so it could be 30 minutes where we're chest to chest. And when I do that, my whole center column and chest vibrate. So it goes right into him and he'll literally just be like if you can recall any ceremony that you've done and you've been struggling or i've been struggling or you just make these oh these just sounds and he'll do that for 30 minutes and it's like we're off gassing together and it's my way without especially he's pre-verbal so it's like it's my way to like be and hold him in that energy and give him this this is what makes sense to me and what it feels like because even like just with that i don't know 20 second sound that i just shared like already like i feel more open more alert and he's um literally if he's crying like crazy and he's a baby within 10 seconds it's he's ground and then he's just curious and then he'll just pass out and it's loud like it's not that's like it's loud and he's just totally docile sleeping like the whole car ride last last night from the restaurant that's all i was doing with the rattle (laughs) and when we came back and we opened the door he was passed out yeah but he was he was losing it you know uh, when we first got in the car so instead of white noise it's salami noise <laughs> right because it's it's quasi in the same context of that what you know, it's creating a field to be able to move things through right totally yeah and i think too and i don't know if if there's you know other fathers listening to this but there are one of the things that i really felt i don't know if like insecure is the right word but like was really sh- like wanted to find this was before he Luca came like you hear all the stories or you hear like the advice that much of the advice that I was given was for the first two years Mike just forget your your place like for the first two years it's all mom and like I get that like he's very codependent he needs to be breastfed but really in that whole thing I was like well what the fuck like like of course I'm going to support Lauren as best as I can but like what can I do? What's my role? How can I like play a role in this beyond just like creating a safe home and supporting Lauren with whatever I can do? And I was really like, no one told me like, how could I do that? And so I started trying to like research or reflect and meditate, like what are going to be my ways to connect with him? And the two things, the throat singing is really the one that stuck, but in the beginning also doing infant massage. 
So I would do a lot of different like massage techniques, just gentle stuff and touch and like, and so to develop that, that safety and connection with my hands. Uh, so I do that every now and then, but by and large, like the throat singing and my ability to soothe has been so profoundly life-changing mm. because usually it's like my experiences around infants crying is it's like the infant cries, let's hand them to mom. Right. And so to be able to contribute, to be able to connect, like that is what I'm realizing has been one of the, one of the many, there's been so many gifts has been like, I really feel not only am I an active participant, but I'm really co-parenting. Like I'm really like, I'm like bringing something to the table and to do that at 2 a.m. when you're fucking exhausted, it's like amazing. Yeah. What a reward, brother. Thank you for sharing so openly about your experience mm -hmm. and all that you are and this beautiful family that you guys have created. It's such a pleasure to be a witness of and to be, you know, Uncle Shervin. And um, I love you infinite, man. Thank you for coming on Wake the Fake Up today. This won't be the last time we'll be doing this again. And um, I'm here for it. I'm all in, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you for your friendship and just, yeah, bro, your unwavering support since day one, since the first moment we connected and like felt like I had a brother and I know I do. And so, um, yeah, I appreciate you so much. So thank you. <laughs> My guy. Mm -hmm. What a ride. <laughs> <laughs>